Welcome to episode four of our Tech Talks, our video interviews about data mesh in practice brought to you by Agile Lab on the web, agilelab, one word, dot IT. We have a very, very special guest with us today, Juan Sequeda. Juan uh, holds a PhD in computer science from UT, University of Texas. So go, go Longhorn, go Bevo, I guess. Oh. And uh, he is now the, the principal scientist at data.world. And joining us again is uh, Paolo Platter, uh, the co-founder and CTO at uh, Agile Lab. So I would like to start with uh, our guest and um, I guess the hardest question first to begin with. Could you explain what a knowledge graph is in such a way that even I can understand it. <laughs> so my my simple, what I call my non-pedantic, non-scientific definition of a knowledge graph is uh, you're integrating data. It's data integration, one. And second is you want the, the real world business concepts and real world relationships to be first class citizens of your model. So you're not talking about data sets that have uh, uh, column names that you don't understand. No, everything make, has, has meaning to it. So you are, when you come do data integration and your real world concepts and your real world relationships are first class citizens, you are starting to integrate data and knowledge at scale. And that's what is a knowledge graph. It's literally how you would think about things. Uh, you draw them on the whiteboard, but those bubbles and lines, the same words that you will use that's the knowledge and you start representing the data in that same way, that's all connected. Uh, it's not a new thing, right? It's now very popular in the last five, eight, nine years, but it has a large history behind it. A lot of areas have been working on this together. And now it's just becoming popularized because all the big fangs, you know, the Facebook, the Amazon, the Googles are doing it now. Did that, did that work or not? Yep, yep, yep. Well, you know, Listening to you, it sounds like one of those things that when you hear about it, you wonder, why isn't it the norm? It sounds so logical. It makes so much sense that you wonder why it's not everywhere yet. But which kind of companies are actually embracing a knowledge graph? Just the, the giants you mentioned, or is it more widespread? So I think, so the, the giants are now all doing them. And then I think it's becoming more widespread little by little because what I would call is, uh, I, I like to divide the world between uh, the cool kids and those who want to become cool kids and those who are not cool kids, right? So the cool kids who are not the big giants, they're looking at them and they're, they're like, wait, how does Google do this? Like, I want to be able to go do that too, right? So they're all starting to go do that, and that, so you're a cool kid, and the and the wannabe cool kids, they're 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 the ones who are like probably not aware about this stuff, or they should be aware of it, and they're the ones who are saying, hey, you want to become cool? Guess what you need to go do? Uh, the people, the folks who are not cool, they're they're gonna die. End of story. So uh, it is it is getting more and more widespread right now. I think. Uh, a lot of trends have pushed that. Uh, one is, again, the Google and Amazon to the world doing all of this. Uh, second, the whole proliferation of graph databases. Uh, and, and that happened because of all the NoSQL databases that started. So I think that that's another thing that, that, that has happened. Um, and, and then again, just kind of seeing it in, in, in your everyday, uh, I mean, your, your Google searches. Like People don't even know this, right? But you search for Google, it's right there. The knowledge panel you see on the right-hand side. Uh, you you look talk to Alexa on Siri, it's the same thing, right? Um, they all use a knowledge graph to get that information, and and now it's going more and more. Okay. Yeah. And so, Paulo. Yeah, I would like to know if uh, also legacy giants are raising uh, knowledge graph. I don't know if I, if I need to think some uh, uh, Bank of America or industry like this uh, are also trying to embrace knowledge graph in some way and uh, are they succeeding or are they failing well so you i probably know as much as people know publicly right those things are these banks they don't talk that much about them um i mean 
from a lot of my contacts and colleagues, I know that they are working extensively on it and they have, uh, they have been implementing these technologies. Uh, up to what level, how much of that is public, I, I don't know. And they, are they succeeding at it? I don't know, but I know that they're still working on, they're still hiring people and stuff like that. Then one indicator to know is, is uh, look at job postings. So just, just follow job postings for knowledge graphs or graph databases and stuff like that. And, and, and now I think another, um, another big uh, term that I'm seeing a lot is uh, data products, uh, data product management. And people are starting to go see if you're building data products, you can do this uh, with knowledge graphs. I saw this actually the other day, uh, uh, Square, you know, the financial company Square that you do the, the, the credit cards. They have a job posting to go hire a data product manager to be the owner of the knowledge graph and just just search for it and you'll find those. So you're starting to go see Square is a cool company, right? Um, so those are the types of things that we're seeing. Bottom line, be very blunt and honest. If you're not using knowledge graphs or you're not planning to use knowledge graph, you're pretty much screwed because your competitor is and they're going to beat you, period. But besides people, what do you need uh, from an organizational uh, standpoint to, to start that is, that, that, is, that is the most challenging aspect. So this is not about technology. It is about the people and the processes. And I think that's where it gets into the crux. It's 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 a paradigm shift, right? It 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 is it is it is. It, frankly, we have been the way we have been managing data, enterprise data, has been the same for the last thirty years. We did data warehouses, and now it's data lakes. We did ETL, and now it's ELT, and now it's reverse ETL. It's the same exact thing, and we're still in this big hole. Are, are we going to continue doing the same thing? No. So, I mean, it's, it's just, so the, the paradigm shift in the cultural aspect is that we're working with people who have been used to the norm and they don't like change. So honestly, it, so people don't like change. Uh, it's a generational issue. People who are in their fifties, sixties, they're like, don't tell me I'm going to go do something different. I'm let me finish my career. I'm going to retire. I don't want to go start on something else. Right. So, um, and I think the other aspect that, that kind of scares me a little bit is that the, the next, the newer generation is coming out to go work. And we have this huge craze of AI, which apparently AI means machine learning and machine learning means neural networks and everything when it's much more than that. And we now believe that everything's a magic wand, right? Uh, magical works. So we, and that's not true, right? So this next generation is being educated on, on machine learning. Everything needs to be automated. Um, and, 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 and frankly, we don't even people, the young generation comes out, they don't even know about data modeling. They don't even know about logic. How are we supposed to have full grasp of our understanding of data? If people do not learn how to model data, they don't learn how to go talk to people and understand what is, what do you mean by this? And meaning is logic. We don't understand these things. So it is a big cultural shift. It's an academic shift that is actually missing. Right now, people can get a master's degree in data science and they don't learn anything about data modeling. That scares me. Yeah, sure. Right. We are seeing also here this kind of process where everybody wants to uh, go deep into AI, but without uh, any knowledge about the process of uh, extraction value from, from the data. And uh, I was wondering, um, do you think it's possible to automate the process uh, about knowledge extraction uh, from, 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 the, from the data pipeline? I mean, uh, do you think it's possible to automate it with uh, uh, AI or not? So let's break that down into different pieces, right? So um, on, on one aspect, uh, the, the amount of work that occurs right now in automation, and, and, and there's a whole area called AKBC, automated knowledge-based construction, for example. That's a big scientific area. Uh, and, and a lot of the work about automating is when you have a lot of data and you have a lot, and specifically a lot of unstructured data. So I, want, I have a lot of text. I got images and all these things. And you have to go build these training examples and so forth. Now, when it comes to structured data, 
and specifically when it comes to enterprise structured data. We're talking about you want to go integrate an Oracle uh, ERP system that has 20,000 tables and column names called segment one, segment two, segment 99. Uh, and if you look at the data, the data says A, B, C, D. Th that for me is an AI complete problem. Not even humans will agree what this stuff means. Why the heck do we believe we'll, that we'll have machines to go do that? Now, my, my proof by example that we will not be able to automate um, the, the, when it comes to structured data is that you, 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 the example I always talk about is you say, what is the net sales of an order, right? So the, in the target, right, in the, the knowledge graph, how the end user, the business user thinks about, they say an order is placed by a customer, an order has an order line, an order has an order date, uh, a currency, and a net sales. What is net sales? Well, financially, net sales means you take the gross, you subtract the taxes, you subtract the discounts. Well, guess what? There's nothing in my 20,000 database, uh, 20,000 table database that has uh, something called net sales, right? Uh, so you have to come up with that mapping for that. And that mapping is going to have information, legal information, business, business information, and so forth that not even humans will agree on that. So the thing is that to do automate and do machine learning, you need a lot of data. We have a lot of the data in the, in the instances, right? Oh, I, so what we can do is say, oh, if Bob Smith is the same thing as Robert Smith over here, right? Those types of data linkages. But what comes from the schemas, we don't have a lot of schemas mappings. We don't have a lot of that to go learn. So that's my proof by example is that we don't have enough metadata to go actually go learn this. So to your, your point, Paulo, is I don't think we will be able to automate it. And the only way to go do this is figure out scalable approaches to have kind of methodologies and having the right people, the right teams. Yeah, and distributed process also. Very when, key. When, That's how we want to go scale it, right? If we're going to keep, if we're going to do all this very centralized, well, I don't know. We can scale this at a centralized level. It's very interesting to me that you both say, a lot of uh, similar things. You both point out the same pain points in the processes. But when you talk about the next step, the future, one says knowledge graph and, and Paolo says data mesh. How do you think these two paradigms uh, overlap and how do you think they diverge? So I think the, the data mesh is more of a the data mesh is a paradigm and it's not a technology. You don't buy you don't buy a tool. This is a data mesh tool. You don't buy that. A knowledge graph itself is uh, is data, and then you can buy tools to go help create you that data. And that data and knowledge together happens to be in the form of a graph. Now, my position is that you can implement that paradigm, or you can you can achieve kind of that paradigm, the data mesh using a knowledge graph. You can use other technologies too, right? You can use it in a data lake if you want to. I think you can also do that in a knowledge graph. I would actually argue and say, I think the best way to go do that is with a knowledge graph. Why? Because when it comes to building a, a data mesh for me is trying to find that balance of centralizing in decentralizing data and metadata. And you want to push all the data work and the data ownership to the people who understand the data. Therefore, and so, and then the mind shift is that you start thinking about data as a product, right? Is, 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 is you start shipping this thing, right? And this thing happens to be data. So might as well have a th this thing that is data actually be data and knowledge connected all together. And then you need to start connecting different kind of uh, data domains. And frankly, when we start talking about connecting, 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 that implies a graph. So might as well start implementing these things as, as a graph. That, that, that's what it is. So I, don't, I, I think it's just a form of an implementation. You can use knowledge graphs to go do graph analytics and fraud detection. That has nothing to do with the data mesh. I mean, so, I mean, it, it's, it's, not, it's not an equivalent thing. You can use knowledge graphs for other thing. And yeah, you can probably come up with an architecture to go implement, kind of take your, your data mesh, uh, 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 journey using data lakes or, 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 or Kafka messagings, or I, I don't know, whatever you, yeah. I'm sure you can come up with different types of architectures for that. From, from my standpoint, uh, yeah, from my standpoint, uh, um, I see that data mesh, uh, could resolve a lot of stuff. 
but when you decentralize too much uh, the ownership about the data, uh, you can lose a bit of control of the process. So probably knowledge graph on top of, uh, of the data mesh uh, could bring the right, uh, the, the right focus on the process in a, uh, about extracting value from data and to correlate the data products to the business concept. So um, I, I think that this could be uh, the, the real integration between uh, data product and, uh, and, um, and knowledge graph. What do you think about that? So my, the, what I really, uh, yes, I agree with you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to phrase this and put it in my own words. You want the data product to represent, again, these real world concepts that are part of your domain. And, and there is going to be a clash. And this is part of the this is part of the paradigm shift is that you know what we need to admit that we cannot be in control of everything therefore we need to be uh, be okay with friction we need to be okay if if we don't have an agreement on things and that's actually a good thing because if i hear more complaints about a particular topic guess what that's probably an important topic i should need to go and solve so again, it really goes back to the cultural aspect, the people aspect is we all want to go solve these problems from a technology perspective. How do we know we're solving the right problem? Go ask the users about it, right? And so we want to be able to identify what are the right metrics to know that people are actually using these types, using the data and stuff. So if people start having that friction about it. That's good because I get to learn by that. And you want to be agile and go fix it. So the balance that I see is I've written about this is that I call you, you do want to have a centralized, well, let's call it, I've called a centralized data council. And this is the council that manages the core concepts of your, of, of the business domain, right? So again, doing the retail example, you have orders and customers and an order line, and you have all these attributes around them. You say an order and you have an address. Okay, that's it. And, 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 it, and it manages even like sometimes even the syntax. Is it going to be first underscore name? Is it going to be F name? It's like just have one way because tomorrow you're going to have a new team who's going to set up a new thing and they're going to have an API. You want them to use the exact same schema from it, this new the same syntax. Now, maybe the semantics, the, 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 the customer definition is going to be different. Let, let, but the thing is you're pushing down the ownership to the people who have the data. Maybe that's what customer means to them and it's different from somebody else. Well, just let them implement that and then let people start complaining. Maybe people, maybe you thought that people were gonna complain that marketing and sales have different definition of a customer. And maybe there are complaints, but they're not as big as in finance. That has a bigger complaint or shipping has a different complaint, right? That one is completely different. And then you focus on that and you kind of figure, you, you, you fix that. Uh, and then the second thing is people say, Look, in the, the data, the central data council doesn't have all my concepts. I need something new. All right, go extend it. I'm not going to stop you. That's a decentralized part. Go do that. But then you'll, but then somebody will say, wait, but what if somebody else does, does it? Well, let them have friction and say, hey, I now have to consume these two data products and they're calling these two things differently. Now I have to go do this mapping myself. Well, I start hearing more of these complaints. Guess what? The central data council notices it and they say, Let's go extend our business concept and let's add these new ones. And you keep iterating about this little by little, right? So I think that's the data mesh paradigm. And if I put it into the knowledge graph, that central, the, those core concepts, that's your schema. That's your ontology, right? You represent it as a graph, right? I know where these things are connected. All that stuff gets all get interconnected. In data mesh, as you pointed out, there is this concept of data as a product, and one very key aspect is the ownership. So uh, you are the owner of this data product, but who is the owner of a business concept? Is there is there the equivalent of ownership in in the business concepts you decide you describe? That's a great question. I actually haven't thought about that one. Uh, all right, you're putting me here on the spot. Let me think about this. So. I, so I would say that the data, the owner of, so the owner of the central of the core business concepts is the, the centralized data council, which represents the whole organization. 
what I'm thinking is the the core data council, the the, the core the, the 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 centralized data council, they will own the those the they will own the core business concepts, and then every new domain, they will come up with a new concept when it doesn't exist. At that point, they will own that concept, and then maybe another another do, do, data domain will come up with the same concept because they don't talk to each other or whatever, and they will own it. And then somebody is starting to go find these things. And, and by the way, that's why we also want a catalog because a catalog is going to help me, again, catalog all the domains. And they're like, wait, there's this new concept in this domain. And there's two different owners about that. That's weird. And then they, they and then at that point, people sometimes don't even know, right? So it's really funny and sad sometimes too that you that people within an organization they have no idea that they're using the same word to mean multiple things. And then you, then somebody thinks, oh yeah, there's these two, two definitions for it, but you didn't know that there was four definitions over it because nobody talks to each other. So I think we need to have more of that. So um, my aunt, so to summarize, I think the, the core data, uh, the centralized data council owns are the owners for the core business concepts. And then the, and then you can decentralize the ones that are from there. It can lead to clashes, but that's fine because we'll resolve those. And do, is it also the way that you address avoiding data duplication? I mean, at, at the end, I think it's we it's in it's inevitable to 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 avoid data duplication, right? Because one domain, if you're the marketing domain, you will have information about customers and the events that they attended, right? If you're the shipping, you will have information about customers and 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 the products that got shipped to what address. So obviously you're, you're going to have duplicate customer data over there, right? Because one, you, you use uh, some shipping management system, you use some other event management system. I mean, that's inevitable to go keep that. The way to, the, I think a way to kind of manage that is to have clear, defined identifiers. And you want to have identifiers for your metadata, identifiers for your business concepts, and identifiers for all the things the, the people, the, the products, the, the addresses, all those have clear identifiers. And then you also want to have is uh, having a management of these, uh, these identifiers. So I've, I've, I've called this before almost like an entity name system. Like even on the internet, we have a DNS, right? So you have a string and the DNS maps that string to an IP address. And I can have multiple strings that can map it to the IP address. Right. So we need to go. So this is a true kind of thinking about how to manage enterprise data is not just managing the data is not just managing the metadata and the schema It's also managing the identities of all your things. And then guess what? Tomorrow you have a brand new system comes on board. Why would you invent your own identity system? Go reuse the ones that exist. If, if, if there is already an existing kind of database of uh, a, a, a repository of customers and their identities, we'll just go use one of those. Paolo, what's your take on, on this matter? No, it's really interesting. And uh, as uh, we, was, um, we were debating in, in the community uh, about the difference between uh, data duplication and data denormalization and uh, that's in my opinion it's really different so what Juan said um, is basically you have to duplicate the data but when you duplicate data uh, you are changing the meaning and the business uh, the business purpose of, of that uh, of that data so you are transferring part of the ownership about the customer data in another uh, in another business concept that needs uh, absolutely about about the data but we are not just copying the data without adding any business value uh, on top of it um, and instead this is uh, really happening in uh, legacy legacy data pipelines like when you have an operational data store, data lake, data warehouse, BI, so all of them are just copying data without without adding any added value from a business perspective. I mean, in the data mesh, instead, we are trying uh, to enforce the concept to uh, 
transfer the ownership only when it is needed and only when we add some uh, value from a, from a business perspective, in my opinion. Um, what, what I see very valuable in, in the knowledge graph is that in the data mesh, we can just uh, we can just track the relationship between uh, data products um, from a data pipeline perspective. So I, I can say that my data product is dependent on other three or four data products because there is an higher level of abstraction. But with the knowledge graph uh, on top of the data product, we can create business relationship between data products to extract the business concept, in my opinion. And how, how, how to link, uh, how to relate uh, different data products to extract a business concept, actually in the data mesh concept, in my opinion, is not mapped uh, in uh, any, anywhere, so is a missing is a missing uh, is a missing point in the data mesh. Uh, well, concept, I, I think opinion. that actually a, a data catalog fills that gap, and and and, it, and so a data catalog should be used in two different ways. One, a, a data catalog is to go understand what data I have. Right. Let me go catalog. Here's this database that has all these different tables and all these columns. And, and I want to go catalog dashboards. I want to go catalog the lineage and how these things are going to use. Like I'm, I'm cataloging the as is world. Yeah. Then the, 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 the data engineer, the data team for a particular domain, they will use the data catalog to figure out what data I should go use. They'll have a data catalog um, that, that they can go access the data, can go query, federate it, go clean it, and all that stuff. And then they're going to create their, their data product. And what do they do? They put that data product in the catalog too because you want to start cataloging all your different data products. And you want to start creating all the different business domains and how they relate to each other. And who, and you also want to go catalog who are the people, who are the business owners, who are the stewards of this stuff, right? And all of that happens in the catalog. So the catalog is to be able to go, again, catalog the as-is data, but also catalog the data products. And you want to be able to have a search so people can go find those data products and so forth. So I think a catalog plays a dual role here. And all, all disclaimer, I work for data.world, which is a data catalog. So, well, full disclaimer. No problem. And talking about this, maybe it's good to jump to the data virtualization because uh, as you correctly pointed out, um, yeah, if you need to, um, you can create uh, a new data product, um, putting, putting on it the business logic needed to, to build that business concept. Uh, but if you do like this, you are always materializing um, data. Uh, while uh, I think that uh, it's very useful sometimes to have uh, on-the-fly uh, business concept um, creation. So leveraging data virtualization or federation and so on. I, I, I know that data.word uh, is also employing uh, some virtualization techniques to uh, to materialize on the fly uh, business concepts. So, and uh, what, what, what in in the Tautworks uh, design uh, of the data mesh in the Tautworks concept, they uh, never mention data virtualization. Uh, never, never. And also, they they state that uh, is not needed uh, at any time. But in my opinion, I, I totally disagree with with, with this vision uh, because, okay, you you can always materialize stuff, but it, it will cost a lot in terms of uh, management, um, maintenance, uh, and so on. And also, if you have to integrate legacy systems uh, that maybe can, can't be in the data mesh uh, uh, from, from the beginning, uh, you need something on, on the top 
to uh, to bring that data also inside your business concept. So I think it's not possible in a really big organization to have all the data inside the data mesh uh, from day from day one. So if you want to extract business concept, uh, in some way you need to relate the data that you have in the data mesh and the data that you have outside the data mesh. Uh, what, what is your experience on uh, on this? Well, I mean, it... so first of all, I'm going to pick on a word that you said: have it in the data mesh. I don't, I, I don't see it as there is a a thing called the data meshing. You're in it or you're out of it or whatever. I mean, again, that's just a uh, it's a paradigm, right? That's that's my way of thinking. What's actually in there is data products and, and the owners behind those data products and how they're used. Now, then you go into the, impl impl how, the implementation details. Implement a data product. Honestly, I don't care how you do it. The consumers of the data, they don't care. Do you know how a phone is made? I don't know how they make them. I just enjoy it. It works, right? Am I going to have a, should I go tell Steve Jobs that he should have used this thing? No, I'm happy about it, right? So I think this is, this is the balance that we have to go do is we, 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 as technologists, we start thinking about the technology aspect, but again, define success at the end of the day. Let's step back. What does success look like? Success looks like the people who need to answer an important business question that's going to make the money, make the company money or save money. They're able to go do that because they were able to go find the right data, all that stuff. Did that, did that person care that if you use a virtualization or, or, or a lake or whatever? Probably not. They do need to take into account requirements. So the, so a data, the, the data owners, right, they need to take the requirements and they have, well, we, need, we are going to consume this data at a super high speed and it needs to be, uh, we need to have millisecond. That's one requirement. If somebody else says, I make a billion dollar decision out of this, but I only look at the data once a month, I don't think you need to have real time access for that. So my answer to you is, let's not put the technology cart, uh, cart in front of the horse. Let's really understand what the, end what the end users want. At the end of the day, success is end users using the data. It is not the technology. Now, to really answer your question from a technological perspective, yeah. it all, it doesn't matter. I mean, I can, it, again, it depends on, it depends on the requirements. It depends on the query workload. You can use virtual or actually I would, you can use virtualization for, uh, for developing purposes because you can really quickly iterate on things and don't have to go materialize and all that stuff. And then you realize this is works and then, then I will materialize it. And you're probably going to using those for legacy applications. But if you're starting an application from scratch, Right. You're, there's this new thing that you're doing. Uh, maybe you right. then, then all you want is to actually store the data already with respect modeled with respect to how the business concept develops it. Therefore, data virtualization is a moot thing or, or, or ETL is a moot thing. Right. So, again, it just depends. I think you can you yeah. these are all tools. You need to have all these tools in your box. That, that's right. Uh, let, let me add just one point that. Yeah, data mesh is a concept, but is relying on some principles like uh, self-service provisioning uh, of data products and so on. So when you have to deal with huge legacy, for example, I don't know, uh, SAP or something like that, you, you are not really in the position to create a data product respecting all the principles that we are trying to, to put on it. So uh, you're not able to sell self-provision uh, SAP uh, database or something like that. So at a certain point, uh, uh, if we want to embrace all the principles of, of data products, uh, we, 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 we are going to, to enter in the technology sphere. So yeah, but I don't, in my position yeah, is you don't, there's no need to be, there's no need to be pedantic from day one. Just use the things, do the things that work best for you. And 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 no, of course you're not gonna provision a SAP database. Why? So what? You gotta be practical in life here. And at the end of the yeah. day, remember you you have to define your metrics, your success criteria, your KPIs. 
look at them from the business perspective, right? I think the 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 we we really this is this is the problem of technology today is that we believe that we have a the a problem that was caused by technology needs a solution based on technology. That's false. And yeah, this yeah. Is, this, this is this is why we need to start putting. I, I ask everybody, it was like, what does success look like? Does success look like you have a this most scalable database system? Really? I don't know. I mean, ask yourself, right? And if we're doing this in a business, in a in a in a in a, in a, in a business, there's only two metrics for success: how much money am I making? How much money am I saving? That's it. Yeah. Totally with you, and also because we are a consulting firm, so uh, the customer success is our is our priority, and and that's why. Uh, I need I need to find uh, um, solution practical solution uh, to solve uh, real complex environments. Um, it, it's not always uh, linear. Uh, yeah. from, so, uh, so one of the things so one of the things that we do in, in, in is is to work. I mean, we've we define a method a methodology around this. So this is the thing. This is important. What is your methodology? What is the process to go do this? And, and the whole process is you, you start by defining what are the key problems, the business questions that need to be answered. And then you focus on answering that question and you kind of create your model, you create your core concepts and everything, you create your knowledge graph and it's all there to go build the data to answer that particular question. And, and, and it also provides you the guidelines, the, bar, the guardrails. If, you, if people start discussing some other things, you can go, well, is this discussion needed to go solve this business question? No, I'm sorry. I'm not spending any more time with it. And then you go off and you, and then you go off to the next question and you realize, can I, can I answer the question with the current data that I have? Yes. Well, you're done. Go to the next question. If you can't, then you say, what's missing? Oh, maybe this new content, maybe this new attribute. Well, let's go add it. Who owns it? Then you go iterate again very quickly. And you start generating this, this, what I call this beautiful, reliable data, these data products that people start using about it. And what happens is that people at some point start reshuffling their priorities. They said, oh, wow, these questions that I had priority 10, 11, 12, I can already answer them with the data that I have, with, which I did with one, two, and three. And then they reshuffled all these things. And what happens, and I've seen this a lot in my practice, is that people start with the expectation is that we need to go integrate these four or five different databases. They did, we spent six months working and answering questions, and we're still working on what, just one database, right? So the technologists thought that we needed to go integrate data. I was like, well, no, we need to go answer questions. And when people start seeing the data, start seeing the data products, they're like, oh, I want to extend this product with this new thing, this new thing. Oh, yeah, that's something simple. We can go iterate very quickly about it. So I think th having that type of process is what I call our, our, our a pay-as-you-go methodology to go build these data products and build these knowledge graphs. And it's all tied directly to success and how to define these business questions. And those business questions are defined. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's when, that's what's going to save me money or make me money. Yeah, yeah. And we, and we should focus on make it simple to iterate, uh, simple and fast uh, to iterate, uh, over these business concepts and business needs, let's say. And and one thing that one thing I add, I'll add to that is that we want to also be we want to be resilient. So that means that if I make a mistake, I want to know where I made that mistake and I can revert back. And that's really important because that's what helps me be fast and at a fast pace. Is that I can go forward, but it, I. I, let's say I think I need this stuff and we did the whole work and like, oh, wow, we realized after the fact that this was wrong because the, we defined the, 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 the mapping or we, def, we understood this wrong. Okay, we can very quickly go back and say, no worries, we're fine. I think that's also very important to be truly, truly agile. We have this in software, right? Somebody pushes code that broke something. Oh, just revert, go back to your, your, your previous build. You're done. We need that in data. Yeah. We need to treat data more like software. Data, data version is coming uh, and a lot of also technologies are uh, trying to enabling uh, this like project Nessie and other stuff yeah that's really cool stream in my opinion in the data management world yeah um i wanted to ask maybe, uh, one question about organizational uh, from an organizational standpoint because 
simple to understand, hard to implement, but simple to understand logic in data mesh is that you have the data owner who is responsible for the data in, in the sense of guaranteeing data quality, consistency, availability. And he has to uh, showcase it so that at a different level, it's like a car mechanic assuring that the data is, perform, is performing. And then on a different level, a data scientist takes this data for a spin. So it, it, there is a clear separation of roles. Mm -hmm. Is there something like that also in a knowledge graph scenario? Well, I, I mean, it's, I, I don't think that's specific to data mesh or, well, I think data mesh is, is kind of, is, is, is pushing that discussion more to the open. And I, and I think it's, it, it's not specific to knowledge graph because you could argue the same thing. Does it exist in relational databases or data lakes or whatever, right? I think it's just, it's, it should be part of the paradigm shift that we go in that the enterprise data management world goes through. And that's why I'm really, really bullish and excited about the data mesh because the data mesh paradigm is making people think about these things. Exactly. The, 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 the analogy I have is like, it's, you, like when you go shopping, you go to Amazon and you go buy things, right? You you go buy it, uh, it works, you know how it works because you can read the reviews, you can comment on other things, you can see other products that that vendor has. If you did not like it or it broke, you can go back to the vendor, you can give comments. It's a sex, I mean, now I'm not just, I'm not buying a shoe or whatever, I'm I'm, I'm getting the data. And and actually the the... The owner of the product wants to know how they, they should reach out to me and say, how are you? How is it going? Let me know. Is there something new that you're missing? Something else? Is there? Blah. That's the type of whole paradigm that you, the, 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 the ideas that you want to go out there. I think the, the, from a cultural perspective, it's you want to have this role, the data product manager. And I think that's the important thing. So your, your data team on each domain will consist of a data product manager and the data engineers slash what I'm calling the knowledge scientist, the person who actually works and understands what the business requirements are, and they work to the, to the, with, with the data folks to understand where it actually is, and they do all that knowledge work, right? And, and, and it's not just, oh, cleaning the data. No, this is truly understanding what do you mean by a net sales of an order? And what does that definition mean? How would we actually calculate that? Where is the data for this? And, oh, there may be multiple ways of getting the data. Let me hypothesize which is the best way. I'm going to give you different data sets. Let's go test this. Let's go talk to people about what is what would be the best calculation for this and so forth. So I think this is this... Uh, this new role, the data product manager and the knowledge knowledge engineering uh, slash knowledge scientist, is, is, is these are the new types of roles that that I believe we really need to, in order for this to be successful. Otherwise, it's just more data sets going out that you don't know really what it means. You think you know, but you you, you really don't know. Yeah. And Nicola, let me do the the last question because we are Please. approaching the end. Uh, so instead of talking about uh, data observability, um, in the data mesh concept, uh, uh, also data observability is uh, in charge of the data product owner. So we are trying to decentralize uh, the ownership about um, make, to make the data trustable. So uh, the data owner need to calculate and publish metrics about data quality, about efficiency, about if the data product is working or not. But do you think uh, this is going to be a good thing for uh, the overall quality of, of the data? Um, is the data product owner the right person to uh, to push um, these data quality metrics to the excellence, or or maybe they can cheat about them in some way. So, do you think it's it's good to have this ownership uh, in charge of each data product owner, or do you or do we need some centralized control uh, about that? So. Um... 
couple of things. One is I'll, I'll, I'm going to go pitch my podcast here. So I have, we, I, I, I'm the host of Cataloging Cocktails, which is a podcast that we do. And last week, we actually had Lior Gavish, who's the, C, who's the founder of Monte Carlo Data. So we talked about data observability. Uh, so I'm actually looking looking up at my notes that we about the about our conversation. Um, one of them is, so your, your question is, should it be pushed down to the data owners or be it the more centralized? I think that it needs to start pushing down to the data owners. I mean, the whole data mesh concept is just like in da like in database optimizations. What do you do? You want to go push your optimizations down. That's that's the that's how you get your best optimizations. You're pushing all the work down. Do the same thing for 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 your data for the data products. Is whoever owns the data, they know the best thing. They need to know. They know they're they're the ones who are building things. They're the ones who will need to know what is the the data debt that you have. Right? In code, we have we have a lot of right. There's a lot of code debt that we have. We have data debt, right? We know that we're that something's missing, or we know that we that we did it not in the best way, right? We know that something can be brittle. Let's go observe those types of things. And we also want to observe where there are transitions occurring, right? When I take this data and this data, I combine and generate that. Like that combination is where I really need to be observing about it. Now, having kind of all these data quality uh, signals and stuff, one of the important things is to understand who is consuming these trust signals. Depending on the user, they, will, they may just want a green check mark, done. Depending on the user, they will want to have much more nitty-gritty details and know the percentage of the null values or whatever, right? So, the, again, we really need to understand who is consuming the signals. Um, I think the now, given that the pipelines can be very complex and they can be so many layers deep and stuff, that's what can ca cause what's called this data uh, downtime, and that's what we need to observe. But a concern I have is that we observe something and then we just fix it very quickly and we put a Band-Aid. So we need to be, we, we need to have a very thorough process, be, 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 have a methodology around this. Otherwise, we're just going to do Band-Aid after Band-Aid after Band-Aid. Um, so I think in another, another, another topic is that data quality can be seen as uh, cybersecurity in a way too. There may be a lot of hidden threats that we're not aware of. So that's another aspect to, to consider. Um, yeah, but... Security is part of the governance process. So I mean, it's centralized cybersecurity is not demanded to the to the data. My, my point is, uh, I think that um, as I can I say, uh, make force the data product owner to calculate uh, data quality metrics is a bit uh, self-referential i mean uh, it's like when you do product management and you and you employ vanity metrics okay but in this case uh, is probably even worse because you are selling your data to other people that are trusting your metrics but if you pick the right metrics you can uh, uh, you, you can make perceive an high quality data set because you pick it up the, the right metrics but in the end uh, uh, the quality is not yeah, really but, but at the, end, the users are the ones who are going to say i mean if you put a green check mark on your data and i'm going to go use it and i said paulo your data is crap I don't care if you put a green check mark or not. And guess what? I'm going to put a crappy review on your thing. I'm going to go talk to everybody saying that data is crap. So you you need to go talk to me. You need to go talk to your users to go see what, what are they expecting or not. So, I mean, again, it's, I don't think it's a magic bullet. It's not a technology. It's a people thing. Go talk. We got to figure out the requirements yeah. of what they're expecting and then you're satisfying them. So we need transparency also on uh, review and feedbacks. hundred percent. I mean, what I was mentioning before, we need we need to be comfortable with 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 friction. We need to be transparent about things. This and 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 this is a cultural shift because people are not transparent because they're afraid. I am afraid to let. How many times have you gone off and say I don't want to share you my code yet because my code is ugly? I do this all the time. I don't like to share my code because. But that's a mindset we have to go do. It's like no, just get that out. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That, that's this is this is very, culture. This is culture. 
culture that we're changing. It's a cultural and paradigm shift that we need to embrace uh, in order to exchange data fairly. Right. Any, any final questions or how do you want to wrap up? No, I, I think it was very, very interesting to listen to you guys with your perspective that are so convergent on, on some philosophies and, and yet at the same time so divergent in the, in the express way. I, I say we're, very, we're fairly convergent. I think we're all on the same, heading towards the same direction. I mean, yeah, maybe as a, goal, as a goal, absolutely. Just sometimes the step you want to take to reach the same goal might be a little yeah, different. Yeah, fair point. It was a very uh, inspiring to see that the shared philosophy and the, and the shared vision for the future. So with that, I would like to again thank uh, Juan Sequeda, who is the chief scientist at uh, Data World. Data.world. They have an enterprise cloud native catalog. They're the world's largest uh, collaborative data community and uh, the co-creators of the manifesto uh, for data practices. So it was an honor to have you with us. And uh, also thank you, Paolo, for being with us again. As for Agile Lab, we also have uh, very, very big news in store, but there's still a secret. So come back and check with us uh, towards the end of the month to receive a wonderful surprise. Thank you again, and I hope to see you soon. Thanks. Thank you.